Over the last several months, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, verse by verse. But uh, today we're going to take a break from Mark's Gospel, and we're going to continue a Christmas series that I actually began last year. Last December, I ended up not getting a chance to say uh, everything I wanted to say about Christmas. <laughs> uh, and so we're going to continue uh, that series this year. And the series is called The Hidden Meanings of Christmas. The Hidden Meanings of Christmas. Now, unless you're Jewish, you probably love Christmas. Just about everybody does. And so though I, I know most of you in the room today love this holiday, believe it or not, Christmas is even better than you think. It's actually much better than you think. Christmas is the only Christian holy day that is also a major secular holiday. Although Easter is quickly becoming that. Right now, you, it could easily be argued that Christmas is the biggest holy day for Christians and it is also the biggest secular holiday. And there, so the result is two completely different celebrations happening at the exact same time. So that's what we have. Each observed by millions and millions of people. If you were to pull out your smartphone right now, jump on Spotify and search for a Christmas playlist, you're asking for mental and emotional whiplash. With little warning and no explanation, you'll jump back and forth from rocking around the Christmas tree to silent night. And then you'll jump from blue Christmas to joy to the world. And then you'll go from grandma got run over by a reindeer to the first Noel. This brings some discomfort to both groups. It brings a little discomfort to both groups. You see, many Christians are bothered by the secularization of the holiday. And many secular people are bothered by the overtly religious tones that the holiday brings. Now, on one hand, personally, I think it's kind of neat. I think it's kind of neat to share this holiday with our secular friends. But on the other hand, as our society grows more and more and more secular by the day, I do fear, I do fear that the true roots of Christmas will become more and more hidden as time goes on. What has happened over the years is these two different celebrations have blended together in many ways. And that's muddied the waters for everyone, even Christians. And so the result is many Christians cannot articulate the true biblical story and meaning of Christmas. For most Christians, if I were just to ask you off the cuff, hey, can you tell me the biblical Christmas story? I promise you, 
the vast majority of people, the vast majority of the time, would tell me a story that is some kind of mixture of the biblical story and then our secular society's version of the story. They would blend together. And the purpose of this sermon series is to unblend them, to pull them back apart, and to see the true, wondrous, biblical story of Christmas. And hey, look, I'm guilty too, okay? I'll raise my hand here. I'm guilty. <laughs> I can unintentionally get caught up in all the glitz and glamour of secularized Christmas. Guilty, okay? I can do it. But many churches and Christians, they intentionally glamorize Christmas. They intentionally do it. I don't know if you've ever seen the Christmas Eve broadcast from the Vatican. Has anybody, has anybody ever watched that, the Christmas Eve service from the Vatican? It's pretty fascinating. It is quite the spectacle. <laughs> it is quite the spectacle. You got poinsettias everywhere. You got lights everywhere. You got this massive choir singing. You got the Pope dressed up in gold and silver. It is quite the show. Well, a few years ago, during this massive, elaborate celebration, the Pope had a large bandage around his hand during the celebration. Now, the broadcast explained that the reason he had this bandage around his hand was that one of the priests accidentally slammed the Pope's hand in a car door. Which I'm sure was probably the last day that particular priest was employed at the Vatican. <laughs> Nevertheless, it was an accident. Some well-meaning, I'm sure, priest accidentally slammed the Pope's hand in a car door. And I thought to myself, now that's the world I live in, right there, right there. I can't identify much with the golden robes and the glamorous cathedral, but I can identify with getting my hand slammed in a car door. You see, ironically, the Pope's busted up hand was the most Christmassy thing about that Christmas Eve celebration at the Vatican. <laughs> Christmas can seem so surreal. You know, with all of the lights and the parades and the pageantry. But the real, true meaning of Christmas has to do with the brokenness of everyday life. And there may be no better example of this than the shepherds on that first Christmas morning. 
Have you ever thought about the life of a shepherd? These were people at the very bottom of the social ladder who lived hard lives. And in the biblical Christmas story, God gifted these poor shepherds with a gift that up until that point people could only experience in dreams. You see, Scripture is clear that no one can see the glory of God lest they die. You cannot behold the glory of God and keep your life. You can't. And so what's interesting is we see in Jewish writings that many Jews so desired to see God's glory. You know, we see Moses in the Old Testament clamoring for it. Please, let me see your glory. We see Jews desiring so much to see it that they would often dream about it. They would dream that they got to see the glory of God. <laughs> but not these shepherds. These shepherds did not have to dream it. These social outcasts, these poor, filthy, dirty, sheep-smelling shepherds, they actually got to lay eyes on the glory of Almighty God lying in a manger. They got to hold the glory of God in their arms. They got to rock the glory of God to sleep. And they got to kiss the glory of God on his tiny forehead. It is an indescribable gift that God gave these ordinary men that Christmas morning. But this is the beautiful paradox of Christmas. It's the beautiful paradox. It is the light of heaven meeting the darkness of earth. I mean, the very birth of Jesus took place at the exact same time King Herod was murdering all the other babies in Bethlehem. Have you ever thought about that? The wonder of Christmas is that it takes place not only in the everyday, in the mundane, but it takes place smack dab in the middle of the most gut-wrenching pain and sorrow. During this Christmas season, studies show us over and over again every year that depression rises to its highest levels of the year 
Anxiety rises to its highest levels of the year. And one of the reasons that happens, one of the reasons that many find this time of year so hard to take is they don't understand this truth. They don't understand. All they see is the glitz and the glamour and the parades and the music and the lights. And it does not match the pain of their lives, the sorrow in their everyday lives. And so they say, Christmas, I can't deal with Christmas. Christmas has nothing to offer me. And they're right. The secular version has nothing to offer them. But, oh, but, the real Christmas does. The real Christmas does. The true Christmas fits right in to their sorrow and their struggles and their pain. And our text today shows us how. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, and we'll look at verses 18 through 21. These verses are also in the bulletin. They're on the welcome table. If you didn't grab a bulletin, those verses are in there too. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce, divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these beautiful words. Thank you for your beautiful word. And thank you for your beautiful son. whom these words point us to and in whom these words are about. And Father, we know that Christmas for many of us is mostly about gifts. It's about presents. And we're going, each of us will get a lot of presents and we'll give a lot of presents this year. But Father, we ask you right now, in total humility, with heads bowed, we ask you, Father, please, 
right now. Give us the greatest gift. Give us the gift of seeing and experiencing your Son. Father, we're not interested in checking a religious box today. We are interested in Jesus. We are interested in glorifying Him and worshiping Him and meeting Him and knowing Him. Please today, give us Jesus through these words. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If Christmas really did happen the way the Bible describes, if it did, then two things are true. At least two things are true. Number one, you never have to be plagued by guilt, ever. And number two, you never, ever have to give up hope, ever. Number one, you never have to be plagued by guilt. And number two, you never have to give up hope. And both of these things are true because of one little promise the angel made to Joseph in verse 21. Let's read it. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. As we just read, Joseph was about to divorce his soon-to-be wife, Mary. You see, back in those days, in this culture, essentially when uh, you became engaged, you were really married at that time. Even though you hadn't had the official ceremony yet, you were considered to be married at the moment you were engaged. Uh, and so Joseph, because he knew that his wife was pregnant and that they had not consummated the marriage yet, well, of course, that could only mean one thing. It meant that Mary was unfaithful. Mary had cheated on Joseph. And this filled Joseph with shame and guilt. And so here in our story today, we see Joseph filled with shame over his wife. And of course, he had given up hope for their marriage. He was about to divorce her. But then the angel comes to Joseph and says, Joseph, you are going to have a son. And you are going to give this boy the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, this is a lot of the time treated as a throwaway line in the story of Christmas. But please hear me today. Do not throw it away. It is the most important and precious line in the whole story. Right here in verse 21. 
It's the most important line. You see, the name Jesus means deliverer. Deliverer. And why is the boy to have that name? The angel told Joseph why. Why? Because he will deliver his people from their sins. Now notice here the word sins is plural. Did you catch that? So this isn't just sin in the general human nature sense. It is that, but it's also the specific sins that are wreaking havoc on your life right now. Those besetting sins that keep your soul anxious and afraid and doubting. Those sins that dehumanize you. If Christmas is true, if the promise of this angel is true, then Christmas completely deals with your sin and your sins, plural, on three different levels. Number one in your outline. Christmas is for yesterday. Christmas is for yesterday. Scripture says that for the person who places their faith in Christ, there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation. Christmas means that Jesus came to this planet to live the life you owe God in your place and to die the death you owe God in your place. So that if you are in Jesus, Paul says of our record, quote, the old things are passed away. And everything, everything has become new. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that? Do you believe that the old things have passed away and that everything has become new? Do you believe it? I admit that it's hard to believe. <laughs> because when I look inside my own heart, I see nothing but failures and mistakes and sins. And they just seem to keep piling up and piling up. And so it's hard to believe the Apostle Paul when he says that the old is gone and the new has come. I get it. It's hard to believe. And you know, one of the tough things about Christmas is that it's so darn close to New Year's. It's too dadgum close to New Year's. And so here's what ends up happening. Around the end of the year, what we do is we start thinking we start examining ourselves and we, we look inside ourselves and we see all these terrible habits we've had for years, maybe decades. All these mistakes we just continually make and make and make. We start feeling real crummy about it. And we say, oh good, New Year's is coming. I'll tell you what I'll do. 
I've had 30 years of horrifyingly awful and terrible habits, but come January 1st, I'm breaking them. I'm breaking them all. I'm going to get me a sheet of paper, and I'm going to make a list of the resolutions that I'm going to make on New Year's. And by golly, everything's going to be different come January 1st. Would you like to know when the biggest, well, you already know this, but would you like to know the biggest sign-up month for gyms is in the U.S.? January. And would you like to know the month where the biggest dropout rate is? February. <laughs> would you also like to know it's the exact same way with church? And we will observe that here at Gospel Life Church. We'll see it. Come January, we'll see some new faces come in the door. And by golly, we'll welcome them with open arms. We'll love on them and we'll give them the gospel. And we'll pray for them. But you know what will happen? Come February, we won't see many of them again. We won't. Why? Why does gym membership drop in February? Why does church attendance drop? Because setting new goals for ourselves, trying out some new habits, turning over a new leaf, doesn't work. It never works. In fact, it cannot work. And I'll show you how. It cannot work because if it doesn't work, well, then it didn't work. <laughs> and so we feel even crummier about ourselves than we did come December. We just feel horrible about ourselves because we didn't live up to our own expectations. So if it doesn't work, well, then it doesn't work. And if it does work, it's even worse. It's even worse <laughs> if it does work because if it does work, we become self-righteous jerks about it. And we say, hey, look at me. I'm fit now. Look at all these unfit losers out here. I'm fit. Look at all these people who don't go to church. I got myself in church and I stayed in church. Look at all those sinners out there. There's a bunch of sinners out there. So if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And if it does work, it's worse become self-righteous. But what if, what if instead we looked at all our terrible habits in light of Christmas? You see, Christmas means that the guilt of the last three decades or whatever you have should no longer plague you. They should no longer keep you up at night. The reason depression skyrockets around the world this time of year is because Christmas reminds us of all our mistakes, our failures, our shortcomings, and our sins. It reminds us that things did not turn out the way we wanted, the way we hoped, or the way we thought. 
But the true Christmas doesn't do that. It's only the secular version or the mix-mash version that does that. The true Christmas does not. The true Christmas tells us that Jesus Christ came to this planet for the sole reason, to save us from our failures, to save us from our sins, to save us from our mistakes, to save us from our shortcomings, to save us from our terrible bad habits. My favorite scene in the Passion of the Christ is when Jesus is carrying the cross to Golgotha and he stumbles and falls. Do you remember that scene? And his mother runs to him and she says, why do you do all this? And Jesus replied, Behold, mother, I go to make all things new. To make all things new. Folks, that is the real story of Christmas. A baby born not in the glitz of a palace, but in the filth of a stable. A baby boy born to live a lonely and rejected life. A baby born to suffer and die in your place and in my place. For all of our sins, failures, and shortcomings. This baby boy came for sinners like you and sinners like me. Why? So that He could make us new. So that we could become new creations in Him. The old has passed away and the new has come. And you say, yeah, but look at all these sins I still have. They're piling up, they're piling up, they're piling up. Listen to me. They're irrelevant. They're irrelevant. This is why we don't look inside of ourselves for assurance and comfort and rest. If we look inside of ourselves for assurance and rest, we'll never find it there. We do not look inside of ourselves. We look to Jesus. Martin Luther famously said, when I look to myself, I don't see how I could be saved. But when I look to Jesus, I don't see how I could be lost. This Christmas, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Don't look at the past two, three decades. Don't look at your current issues and sins and failures and shortcomings. Look to the manger. Look to the baby who has come to make you new. You say, oh, I'm not new. This is why we go by the promises. <laughs> we don't go by our feelings. We don't go by what we see in the mirror. We go by the promises and the angel promised in verse 21 that the baby will save you from all your sins. Don't look in the mirror. 
Look to the promise. Look to verse 21. If Christmas is true, then today you can look your guilt in the eyes and say, he's dealt with it. He's dealt with it. It is finished. It's finished. But when the angel says Jesus will save you from your sins, he's not just talking about the past. Which brings us to point number two in your outline. Yes, Christmas is for yesterday, but point number two, Christmas is for today. It's for today. The scriptures say over and over again that Jesus did not just come 2,000 years ago. Know that he is with us right now. Christmas is not just a story of bygone past. It's a story of today. That same baby, that same king in the manger is with us in this room today. And he is with you wherever you go. He will never leave you and he will never forsake you. And you say, well, I don't feel like he is. That's again why we don't go by our feelings. We go by the promise. The promise is that he will never leave you or forsake you. Never. Never. Scripture says that Jesus is right now, at this moment, our great advocate, our great mediator before the Father. He is constantly and perpetually interceding and praying for you and for me. Scripture also says that no temptation has come upon you that God has not provided a way out. Okay, but what's the way out? We just read it. And you shall call his name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. You see, if Christmas is true, you're not only saved from the guilt of sins past, you're saved from the power of sins present. Right now you're saved from it. On the cross, Jesus destroyed the accusation and power of sin over you forever. Forever. He killed it. Sin is dead. And though you might not believe that, it's still true. You say, well, sin sure seems to have a lot of power over me. Yeah, it's because you keep giving it power. It actually has no power <laughs> over you. It's none. Before you were saved, yes, of course it did. Sin had total control of your life before. But now, now that the blood has come, now that faith has come, the power of sin is broken. You are no longer a slave to sin. You might think you are, you might feel like you are, but you're not. You're still walking around with invisible chains on, but there actually are no chains. Christ's blood has broken the chains. They're not there. You are actually free. <laughs> you just don't know it, which is why 
we go back and we go back and we go back to the promises. When we feel like dirty, rotten sinners, we go back to the promise. When we feel like we can't overcome this sin or that sin, we go back to the promise. The promise is that sin is finished. It's done. You're free. <laughs> You're actually free. And this was, this was a problem immediately after the Emancipation Proclamation. The slaves were free. And they had been declared free. But many of them refused to believe it. And so they still walked around and acted just as they did before. They acted like slaves because they believed they still were. This is very often the Christian life. The Christian doesn't believe the promises. Not all the way. And you say, well... This can't really be true. I must still be a slave. And so we act like slaves to sin. We dive right back into our old sinful habits because we think we're just, we're just slaves. But don't you see, just like the slaves after the Emancipation Proclamation, they were free. <laughs> they were not slaves. They were free as birds. But they couldn't act like it because they didn't believe it. In the same way, many, many Christians today, they don't believe they're free. They think they're still stuck in the same bondage that they always have been in, but you're not. <laughs> you're not. And that's the message of Christmas for today, that you are free. Those chains are gone. They're gone. You might think they're still there. You might still feel the weight of them, but they're not there. Jesus has saved you from your sins. It's a popular thing in our culture today to deconstruct from Christianity. Have you all seen that on Facebook? There's these ex-evangelicals. It's a popular thing. And look, I've met many of these people over the years, and hey, I used to be one. <laughs> okay? I've met many of these people over the years, and they'll say, yeah, you know what? I gave church a try. I gave church a try, but it, it just didn't work for me. It just didn't work. And I say, yeah, of course it didn't work. It's because you gave church a try. But did you give Jesus a try? Did you give Christmas a try? Did you give the gospel a try? Because the message of the gospel is that Jesus will save you yesterday and today from all of your sins. Oh, but that's not all. This brings us to point number three in your outline. Jesus does not only save us from yesterday's and today's sin, but he also saves us from those real daggers in our hearts, those sins and those tragedies that we are convinced will haunt us the rest of our lives. We're convinced of it. A tragedy has taken place and we're convinced we must live with it and carry it for the rest of our lives. But the promise of Christmas is that Jesus has not just saved you yesterday and today. But point number three, Christmas is for tomorrow. 
Christmas is for tomorrow. The wondrous, inconceivable promise of Christmas is that someday sin and sorrow and tragedy will all be just distant memories. As J.R. Tolkien once said, one day all sad things will come untrue. All sad things will come untrue. Jesus himself made this promise in John's Gospel, saying, quote, I lay down my life for my sheep. My Father has given them to me, and no one will snatch them from my hand. And I will raise them up on the last day. I will raise them up on the last day. Too many Christians live, maybe they live joyfully with the promise of the past and joyfully with the gospel promises of the present, but they forget about this one. <laughs> they forget that on the last day, our shepherd will raise us up. He will raise us up. The promise of Christmas is that no matter what sins or tragedies you're dealing with now, He will raise you up on the last day. He will wipe every tear from your eyes. He will take all the crooked things and make them straight. He will take all the jagged things and make them smooth. He will take all the mountains and make them level. <laughs> 